Welcome back to AD 79, Year of Vesuvius, Episode 28, Titus and Herculaneum. Last time we posited the possible tour of Titus around the Bay of Naples after the death of Vespasian, starting with Pompeii. Assuming a counterclockwise direction, his next stop would be Herculaneum, a smaller town but higher rent, and the connection to the Flavians were stronger. On the most superficial level, the town itself was named for Hercules, which demigod the desperate genealogists back in Rome wanted to tie the Flavian family to. The best they could come up with was a companion to the roistering fellow, a mortal but related to the Flavians. Vespasian just laughed. Anyway, yes, Herculaneum. Interesting town, some interesting people. Most interesting of all, or at least the best attested, are the Nonii Balbi. Balbus means stutterer. Romans liked their little nicknames, however rude. As with the Halconi of the last episode, the Nonii Balbi were big fish in a small pond, but an important pond. Serious people, the Nonii Balbi, the Balbi in general, in fact. Not patrician, not at first, but hard-working, clever, and remarkably good at picking political winners. The Nonii Balbi of Herculaneum were probably related to other Balbi, among them a banker who helped finance Julius Caesar during that man's march on Rome. Another Balbus, Marcus Atius Balbus, married Julius Caesar's sister Julia, and so was the grandfather to Augustus. This was the fellow Mark Anthony was referring to when sneering at Augustus's ancestors as being bakers and perfume makers, tradesmen, and beneath contempt. He was, in fact, a praetor, one of 18 magistrates with judicial functions, and he was later appointed governor of Sardinia. Our immediate interest is in the Nonii Balbi, first recorded instance of which family is one Marcus Nonius Balbus, tribune of the plebes in 32 BC. In the squabble for power between Augustus and Mark Antony, he backed Augustus. His claim to fame was that, as the consul of that year, C. Sosius, a friend of Antony, had proposed a decree against Augustus, a decree which the Senate would have passed, Balbus, as tribune, could and did veto the measure. On such small things do fate turn. Good move as it turned out. He survived and thrived the Augustus years, as did his son, also named Marcus Nonius Balbus, who leaves no accomplishments other than marrying one Vicaria Archaeus. Their son, yet another Marcus Nonius Balbus, rose to become a praetor and was later proconsul in Crete and Cyrenica. Never quite consul, but then not too many people were. Dr. Johnson held that a man tired of London was tired of life, but the same could not be said of Rome at that time. So at least appears to have been the case with the proconsul Marcus Annonius Balbus. For whatever reason, finished the bucket list in Rome, fed up with that city's quality of life, longing for the sweet life in Campania, he headed south and settled in Herculaneum. This was arguably a bit of a come-down, greasy pole-wise, but as we have noted before, if you have got the money, the Bay of Naples can be a pretty nice place to live. 
and he did his part in making it nicer still once he got there. By whatever means, the family had some serious money, and he wasted no time in using it to improve the city space. He built the public basilica, court of law, an astonishing piece of work, decorated by frescoes of outstanding merit. Check out the Naples Museum and see for yourself. The basilica was crowned with a bronze four-horse chariot statue, later torn apart by the eruption, but being put together as the various pieces turn up in any digging. All there underground, just waiting. More on this later, but for now, enough to say that while Vesuvius covered Pompeii with light stone pebbles and ash, Herculaneum was visited with a combination of said dry ash and heavy rainwater, creating a wall of hot mud, which slowly made its way through the town, knocking down some things with great force, treating others with remarkable delicacy. The chariot was not treated gently, and not all the pieces have been found yet, much less put together, but what has been found shows a first-rate artistry, as well as the largest size of any surviving bronze chariot statue from that time, much left to find in old Herculaneum. More gently treated in the basilica were the statues. The proconsul took the occasion of its building to fill it with family portraiture, life-sized marble statues, the opening a pair of equestrian statues of Marcus Nonius Balbus and son. Yes, yet another Marcus Nonius Balbus. When something works, they stuck with it. And inside, still standing on their pedestals, life-sized marble portraits of various family members, the proconsul's mother, Vicaria, his wife, Volusena, and their two daughters. Three generations, male and female. Well, why not? As the inscription says, Balbus built the place with his own money. Still, kind of embarrassing, really. Whose idea was it to create this family portrait gallery and to put it in such a public space? Possibly Vicaria, the proconsul's mother? The portrait statue makes her out as a tough customer, and it's easy to imagine her laying down the law to her son, the proconsul. Yes, mother, of course, mother, family statues, yes, I did pay for the basilica. I do have some pull with the city fathers. Good thing, too, at least for us the living. The extended family of proconsul and son, proconsul's wife and daughters, all rendered expertly in marble, fires the imagination. The younger generation at that stage in life where they are just beginning to break into adulthood. There are also traces of red paint on the woman we shall assume as Mrs. Proconsul. Romans had a thing for blonde hair, aping the German look via hair dye, or just buying the real thing and having wigs made. The statue is a prime example refuting the notion that ancients preferred marble statues left white and au naturel. Not something attested by classicists, but in case you were ever wondering... The statues are another reason, as if one were needed, to go to the Naples Archaeological Museum. The Basilica was not the only addition of Albus made to the town. He was also the money behind the so-called suburban baths. Public baths, but right next to his private property, the so-called House of Telephus, on account of the fine fresco on that subject. The baths were equipped with a private entrance for members of the Balbi family, Closed to the public when that was the case, had a guess. 
He seems to have been popular, we find written on his funeral altar. Seeing that Marcus Nonius Balbus, so long as he lived here, showed a parental disposition of extraordinary generosity to individuals and the community, the councillors decided that an equestrian statue be erected to him at public expense in the most frequented spot with the inscription, To Marcus Nonius Balbus, Praetor, a proconsul, a patron from the entire council of the people of Herculaneum, in recognition of his merits. Further, at the spot where his ashes are laid, a marble altar should be made and erected, and publicly inscribed, to Marcus Nonius Balbus, son of Marcus, and that the procession of Parentalia should part from this spot, and that at the customary athletic games one day should be dedicated to his honor, and on the occasion of performances at the theater, a seat should be placed for him. Another ten inscriptions scattered about town refer to statues in his honor. Some of them are gifts from communities over in Crete. He must have done a good job there. When he died, citizens from there bankrolled statues to him in Herculaneum. If you want to be cynical about it, and we do live in a cynical age, you could argue that this was payback or a way of encouraging some dealing with the next Marcus Nonius Bulbus after the fact. The ancients did not have Rolex watches to pass out as gifts, but the black and maybe a statue or two would be making a statement. No evidence of this either way, of course, but as we have seen in recent years, international finance and politics can get dirty pretty quickly. All this was the family at work in the first part of the first century. Well played, it must be said, and they managed to avoid the years of maximum danger under the likes of Caligula and when the unpleasantness of A.D. 69 and its four emperors rolled around, whom did the ball be back? Flavians. Well, they had the same up-from-prosperity background, Vespasian's father having been a banker back in the day. And during the Flavian 70s, the family arranged an equestrian statue of Vespasian to be put up in the city, perhaps during A.D. 74 or A.D. 76, when Titus was making the rounds, or perhaps now, for that matter. In AD 76, Vespasian funneled money to the restoration of the Temple of Magna Mater, a.k.a. Cybele, an eastern goddess whom many of Rome's traditionalists frowned on. The temple itself, damaged by the AD 62 earthquake, is still unfound, safely encased in petrified mud, but the telltale inscription, detached from its original structure and shifted downhill, remains, attesting to Vespasian's generosity and interest in the city. However much Vespasian did for the city, the city reciprocated with the Augustium. It was at this building that the cult of the emperor was commemorated, with bronze statues of the two divine Julio-Claudian emperors, Augustus and Claudius. We get to a slightly murky area now. Between those two august figures, in effect taking center stage, was a marble statue of the very much alive Titus. A bit bold of a move by any standard. There is also a suited statue said to be Claudius, but believed now to be reworked and originally to be of Vespasian. Very muddled in any event. 
Less controversial are the small marble plaques dedicated to other Flavians, specifically Flavia Domitila, wife of Vespasian, and Domitia, wife of Domitian. Assuming that fascination with royalty is perennial, we can suppose that at least some popular support was genuine, even if the propaganda originated with self-interested friends of the dynasty. It is pleasant to think that genuine sentiment is behind the tribute to the Emperor Titus's daughter, Julia Flavia, born A.D. 64, conflating her with Hygieia, daughter of Asclepius and the goddess of health. Even in Rome, everyone loved a royal child. I know I keep going on about the Naples Museum, but one more time, a plug for visiting the place where all the Augustean material are laid out in a really spectacular manner. So, accordingly, one can easily imagine Titus, whether as emperor or as son of an emperor, taking the time and trouble to visit Herculaneum in solidarity with the family and to show respect for the people of the city. Again, standing between the divine gods, that did not happen by accident. One can further imagine that he was a house guest of the younger Balbus, probably at the so-called House of the Relief of Telephus. The emperor needed his physician close by, and if the emperor is staying with his old friend Balbus, the physician, by name Apollinaris, as a valuable member of the entourage, would be close by. Titus needed his physician close by, and if the emperor is staying with his old friend Balbus, the physician, by name Apollinaris, as a valuable member of the entourage, would be close by. Next door, say, in the House of the Gems. At least two graffiti could support this scenario. The first can be found near the latrine near the House of the Gems. It reads, Apollinaris Medicus Titi Imperatoris Hic Cacauit Beni. Apollinaris, a physician to the Emperor Titus, shat well here. The question remains whether it is the work of the doctor himself or a mischievous householder who wished to memorialize his honorable visit to the august house and its toilet. Lower down the social ladder of this presumed entourage is the author of the second graffito, found outside the house of the gem's other neighbor, the above-mentioned suburban baths. Given the nature of the establishment and its location, we might suspect that this was a deliberate provocation of his neighbor, especially when we read Appelle cubicularis cum dextro caeseris prenderunt hic iocundissime et futuere simul. Appelles the chamberlain dined here most pleasantly with Dexter, the slave of Caesar, perhaps Titus, and they screwed together. Or they screwed twice but definitely screwed in any event. One can't read too much into these details. Still, in this rich section of this genteel town, where obscene graffiti are a small fraction of those found in the more boisterous Pompeii, how long were these two scratchings going to last before some high-minded person cleared them off? One more mystery from under the volcano. And so we bid a fond adieu to the Tony city by the sea and its family of Noni Balbi, and head off again counterclockwise to the headland of the bay, that is to say Mycenaeum, where Titus may rendezvous with his old friend Pliny the Elder. 
As usual, thank you for listening, and as usual, tips or likes or thumbs up are welcome.